Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm Keith. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You've heard us give this pitch before, but we're going to go ahead and throw another fastball at you because the Dunlap Champions Club is where you should be each and every Florida State home game. If you've never tried it, you've got to do it at least once. You do it one time, you'll be hooked. It comes with shade. That's key. It comes with chairbacks. It comes with all the food you can eat which Keith and I don't need, but that is one of the perks of it. But it's a really good experience, and many of you have been in there socially, maybe outside of a game, so you've seen the space. Some of you still haven't been in the space. You need to call and take a tour. The ability to watch the game from your chair, to go inside where it's cool, to get food, to get drink, to see people and, and, and socialize to whatever degree, that's important to you. Dozens and dozens of televisions on the wall. You won't miss anything. Plus, you can look out the glass and see from from uh, the fourth floor. It, again, it's a place you ought to go and give it a chance. For your tickets, for a tour, for more information, 644-1830. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We're back again. It is Front Row Knowles Thanksgiving edition. Florida week, Florida week, Florida week. Red alert, Florida week. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Pretty much goes hand in hand with Thanksgiving. I guess there's been some times throughout the course of history that it hasn't been Thanksgiving week, but pretty much the way uh, your life and my life have gone, Thanksgiving is, uh, you can look at it one of two ways. It's either Thanksgiving is two days before the Florida game or Florida is two days after the Thanksgiving and you, meal. You probably know with that uh, mind of yours, but I believe there's been once or twice when this game has been played on the Friday between the Thursday and the Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Might have been. I do know back uh, late 90s, I think the year FSU played for the title against Tennessee, we were actually in a series where the game was the Saturday before Thanksgiving, and then they got it back to Thanksgiving. But that matters not. Nobody cares about that. What they do care about is this matchup this week, and uh, we'll have our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld coming up. Uh, We'll look back at the Boston College game, which uh, was not insignificant. Even if Florida State doesn't win this Saturday and finishes 5-7, and nobody's going to be happy. But I thought for 60 minutes that was a glimpse of what the future could look like for Florida State because that was a good team. Two things jumped out at me about the BC game. Number one, the ability of the defense to come back and shut down the run after they'd been porous against the run. Uh, against both uh, Notre Dame and um, who did we put Wake Forest before that? NC State. NC State, thank you. Uh, they came back and uh, sound in their gaps, uh, gang tackling. I know uh, A.J. Dillon ended up eventually with over 100 yards, but he carried the ball 37 times. He should have had over 100 yards. Uh, that was very, very impressive. And then the second thing, and you've been pointing this out ever since the game, uh, with the exception of the catch by uh, uh, Nooney Murray, all the other reception by underclassmen, I mean, young kids, particularly Tamar and Terry on that game-winning touchdown reception, uh, that bodes well for the future. I know fans are not interested in talking about the future. They want to focus on this year and get to that bowl and save that consecutive bowl streak. But there are a lot of positive things, I think, that came out of that, that game on Saturday that can be built upon both short-term and long-term. No question. Florida State uh, gets the win. They keep Hopes alive to extend uh, the winning season streak, to extend the bowl streak. So let's talk about that right now. Florida comes in maybe a four-point favorite, but BC was a one or one and a half-point favorite. I mean, these this is a winnable game. Unlike you know when you're 17 points an underdog on the road at Notre Dame, 
Uh, I mean, Florida State would have had to have everything go right to win those games. These games, BC, Florida, you can make some mistakes. You're better served playing a perfect game, but you have a chance. Well, and, and that, and you overlay it with the fact that it's a rivalry game, uh, Florida week, Florida week, Florida week, uh, it, it, it makes it where you can really throw out the statistics, Tommy. It really, it, in many ways, it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. You pointed out to me before we came on the air that, that Florida is plus seven or eight in turnovers and FSU is minus seven or eight. Well, if you reverse that for both of these squads, Florida be looking at having five wins, and Florida State be looking at having eight wins. Uh, that's how important the turnover margin is. Well, you can throw all that out on Saturday come noontime in Dope Campbell Stadium because it doesn't matter. It's a rivalry game. Anything and everything can happen. Uh, Florida State's going to have to mind its P's and Q's. They're going to have to play another very, very good ball game if they want to win it. But it is winnable. It's not unattainable, and I think that should motivate the kids this week. I think one of the biggest things that happened last week is that I was really concerned if Florida State loses to Boston College and all that stuff is off the table, the crowd would have been abysmal. And now you've got students back interested, fans back interested. You'll have a home field edge this week, which was tenuous at best for a little while. There's no question. And, and you know, with less than 60,000 people in the stadium, you don't get the advantage of your home field in terms of enthusiasm and noise and the things that go along with it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the crowd is on Saturday. I agree with you. I think it'll be a good crowd. I think it'll be a noisy crowd. If for no other reason, Florida's going to bring 20, 22,000 of their own. Uh, and so it'll be a, a garnet and gold, orange and blue type of uh, stadium, as it always is for home games in Tallahassee. So what do you think? I mean, you want to get right into breaking it down and what it comes down to, or you want to save that for a little bit? You want to, you want to go bigger picture still? Let's save and go bigger picture because we're bigger picture guys. All right. So the bigger picture then, Keith, is that the bowl streak, and we've talked about this, the winning season streak. I mean, FSU already owns the bowl streak record, but still, you'd like to go to a bowl and keep that alive, extend it further. Virginia Tech, as we talk, they've got to win too. I mean, if they don't win this week, they're not playing Marshall next week. If they beat Virginia, they're going to play Marshall next week and try to get bowl eligible, and they're number two on the list. So that means something, and as I've pointed out, when you're one year behind tying the longest streak in the history of college football for consecutive winning seasons, which belongs to Notre Dame, and you're one year away from it, it sure would be nice to not come up short at this point. Particularly since you're in your 65th or 70th year of playing football, and everybody else that is involved in those records is in their 110 or 115th year of playing football. People forget that Florida State is still the baby uh, of the Big Five in terms of having a football program. It wasn't started till 1947, and to be able to be talked about and own those types of records, what a testament to, to Coach Bowden and what Jimbo did and what Willie is trying to build upon, and you just take to see it go away. Now, I know all that said, if you're all about immediate uh, gratification, wins and losses, I mean, regardless of where the season ends, whether you get five and seven and it's over, or you win and you lose in a bowl game or win in a bowl game and you're six and seven, seven and six, that's not where anybody wants to be associated with Florida State. We've talked about the fact that you do get 15 more practices with a bowl game. Uh, you know, in terms of exposure, you could probably argue that if you didn't go to a bowl game, the coaches have more time to recruit. But then again, you're not on TV and not talked about at all. I mean, all things considered, you want to go to a bowl game. Well, well let's talk about the recruiting first. You need to win the Florida game because that'll, that'll have an impact on two or three or four of the recruits that you do or you don't bring in. 
while the nation, the nation may not be looking at this game the way they did in the 90s, uh, recruits are looking at this game, particularly those recruits that have both Florida and FSU on their plate, and it could turn two or three or four of them, uh, as I mentioned, uh, just by the outcome of this ball game. So in that regard, it's very, very important for recruiting. I echo what you say about the bowl game in terms of the practices. It's like another spring. It's like another separate spring that you get to work with your kids because of the 20-hour limitation during the season and all the things that go into it. It's more time with interaction, both in terms of the coaches working with the kids and the kids working on the field, trying to get the new schemes down, the, the staff getting more familiar with each other and with the players. I mean, don't, don't discount those 15 practices. They're unbelievably important. And then just the general nature of feeling good about the program. Nobody would like to finish uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving sitting there at five and seven and and not having had the opportunity to play for a bowl game that that nobody would want that that taste in their mouth florida by record has had the better season they're eight and three coming in they've been a ranked team of late uh when you look at their resume the win over lsu at home and the win on the road at mississippi state those are the two things that that distinguish them uh you know boston college is not viewed in the same light but boston college uh, was a decent victory against a good football team for Florida State. But overall, the body of work a little bit better for Florida. I don't think it's as much better as what the whole SEC versus ACC debate uh, might point it out to be. I, if I'm Florida, Keith, i got to be looking at this, and maybe I'm speaking as a fan here, thinking if we don't beat Florida State this year, when they've looked like they've looked at times, when we've lost five in a row, when are we ever going to beat them? If Florida fans leave Doak Campbell Stadium with a loss, the best thing that's happened to Florida is they're in the first year of a new head coach because if it was just about anybody else, it would be over, so to speak, uh, because it would be that bad of a taste in the mouth. Um, but that's like, that is likely to happen. Uh, just like Florida State fans are likely to leave Doak Campbell Stadium having lost to the Gators after having had that, that big margin for, for so many years on, under Jimbo. Um, that's just, again, the way these rivalry games go. Uh, but again, uh, I go back to my Florida week, Florida week, Florida week. If you're an old-timer, uh, the outcome of this game affects the next 364 days of your life until you get to play it again. Well, you always point to 0-10 Florida that almost beat 10-0 and FSU, and I commented, I look back, the 97 game in the Swamp is a game when Florida alternated quarterbacks. FSU was the better team that year. Florida won. The next year, 98, Florida was probably the better team, and Mickey rushed three and dropped eight, and FSU won and went and played for a title. There's all kinds of examples you can point to about it not being the record or anything other than rivalry and who shows up on Saturday. No question. Again, we talk about this when the Miami series, because for so many years the Miami series worked its way into having that national prominence. But whether it has national prominence or not, the rivalry with Florida, particularly for long-standing, old-time FSU fans, uh, it has significance beyond uh, what we understand or what the what the newer generation understands relative to, to how you feel about yourself and feel about your program and your school. I will say, if this doesn't go the way we want, it's going to be hard not to look back at the penalty flag that was on the field in South Florida that would have sealed that game against Miami. I know that was the third quarter, but I think everybody associated with FSU is pretty confident in their belief that if, FSU, if that touchdown counts, FSU has that win over Miami and they're bowl eligible right now. Not only that, might that have led to another win or two along the way 
by breeding confidence in this young Florida State squad. But it is what it is. So you got to line up at a little bit after noon on Saturday against the Gators, and you got to play your hearts out for 60 minutes. You got to find a way to win your battle, uh, and hope the team overall is successful. And about 3:30, 3:45, maybe close to four o'clock, you walk off that field knowing that you've left everything on that field, and uh, hopefully the outcome goes your way. It feels like, in a nutshell, this comes down to making Florida one-dimensional by stopping the run and forcing Franks to throw the football. I know you can say that any week. Franks is not the most gifted passer. Uh, He's been better this year. Mullen has done a good job with him. But that's where this recipe begins. You need to repeat what you did against B.C. in terms of gang tackling and shutting down the run. Exactly. And don't turn the football over. Because, again, I would tell you in rivalry games that that turnover issue might be even bigger than making the other team one-dimensional. But certainly your game plan has got to be to keep that Florida running attack in check, make Franks win the ball game by throwing the ball through the air. We saw what that resulted in last year. Now, he's a year older. He's a year better. He's got a better, uh, he got a better front. He's got some better tools around him. But you're still going to put it on his shoulders and make him be the one that uh, is the, the catalyst to Florida being successful. And uh, I was very, very impressed with Florida State's defense, repeating myself, and, and what they were able to do against the run, uh, against BC. They've got to have another outing like that. And, and Florida State's got to find a way to get their own running game going. Cam, first 100-yard game of the season uh, came last week. It would be great to have another one of those. And you mentioned, uh, as we were talking uh, before we came on the air, one of the hidden things in there that we didn't think about much is, is Francois's rushes. He had five or six either designed or he made the call on the RPO. In other words, not sacks and not thrown out, forced out of the pocket, but designed runs that netted 30, 35 yards and a couple of first downs. Man, that would sure go a long ways toward helping on Saturday too. Most of those were draws or design runs. I think there was one read option where he kept it. But if you run that three or four times and he keeps it accordingly, it, uh, no matter what you do at this point, Florida's got to spend more time getting prepared for the quarterback to run. So uh, I guess it's a win in that regard. It was interesting to see that. I hope we do see more of that. The other thing uh, was the defensive coordinator moving up into the into the, the booth. And we'll talk more about this with Tim Linnefelt. Uh, but Harlan Barnett had been on the field flip-flopped and went up to the booth the thought was that maybe he could get calls in a little more quickly that he would he could he could recognize things better being an eye in the sky the one game sample size would tell you it worked I grew up with the coordinator in the booth that's how I would diagram it if I were you know king of football to begin with Uh, I think they just get a better perspective now as soon as I say that our listeners are going to say that you know Mickey Andrews was never in the booth well he was kind of an outlier you know, he, he, Mickey's Mickey in his own right. But generally speaking, if you look at the 130 schools that make up uh, Division One, uh, you know, uh, 70, 75, maybe 80 percent of them are going to have their defensive coordinator uh, in the booth so he can get that big picture. Harlan moves up. Uh, I thought uh, it was a good game plan. I was disappointed uh, in, in how Florida State handled maybe the last next to last series uh, by staying so much in, in what I call prevent or, or staying in zone. This group does not play zone well from a pass defense standpoint. But when BC got the ball for the last time, you saw the safeties back up. You saw more people on the line of scrimmage. They were playing a little more bump and run with maybe just one over the top to help out. I think that's a better recipe for this group based on their talent and their mentality. Uh, I think rushing three and dropping eight doesn't work for Florida State's defense in 2018. I do think, and Florida will say the same thing, but it's – 
the win for Florida State, what I was going to say is that this will be a focus week for FSU, but Florida will be focused too. Um, but I think for FSU, just the, the shot in the arm, the confidence that goes with that win last night and, and, or last week and, and how it materialized, I don't think that's insignificant. Not at all. And, and we've talked all along, particularly with a young group, Tommy, they need something to encourage them. Coach Taggart's talked about that. We've heard Walt Bell mention that in his, his coordinator comments in pregame. We certainly have heard Coach Barnett talk about, you know, finding a way to get some confidence and getting some momentum and, and feeling like you've been successful doing something and how much more that would increase the, the level of confidence for these young kids. Uh, getting out to a good start on Saturday would go a long ways toward doing it as well. Love to see what it's like to play with a 14-point lead. I've forgotten what that feels like. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take one at the end like we had last week, though, and uh, wouldn't look back. We're just getting started. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next. We'll get his expert opinion. It is Florida week, Thanksgiving week. We'll also talk about uh, FSU basketball, soccer, and uh, all things Seminole as we continue on Front Row Knowles. So stay with us. on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. on Front Row Knowles. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, everybody, as uh, we get set to stuff our face and probably not make amends for it in the case of some of us. You disagree? Why, why did you look at me when you raised it up and said stuff your face? I actually didn't look at you, Keith, but uh, I probably could have or should have or looked in the mirror, quite truthfully. It's time now for our Seminoles.com insider to join us normally via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. This time, though, Earl Bacon has really stepped up because he is live and in person with us. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. So this is where we all knew we, we, we would be 72 hours before uh, kick, plus or minus. Uh, bowl eligibility, winning season streak hanging in the balance. How do you feel? I mean, this is kind of, you know, in and of itself, it's pretty cool, right? It's a, it's a lot of fun. You know, rival coming to town, a lot on the line for Florida State, a lot on the line for Florida. I was thinking about it. I think this is the first Florida State-Florida game with, like, some serious intrigue that didn't involve a coaching change either on Florida side or Florida State side since 2012, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, you know, it'll be good to have uh, you know, some juice in the stadium. I think, you know, good good crowd is expected. Uh, it had been, been a little while, so I'm, uh, I'm happy to see that, uh, you know, there's some excitement around the game and some buzz. You mentioned, Tim, that uh, oftentimes this game has some national repercussions. You go back to the late 90s and mid-90s and those types of things, but this is still a rivalry game. It has repercussions, even if every team, both teams were under, uh, were winless, yeah. uh, and, and we're playing recruiting, bragging rights, uh, the kids that played against and with each other. I mean, this this has significance regardless of what everybody else thinks. I, well, I agree with you, and, and you know what I'm actually really interested in that respect is that you got two programs both in their first years 
under their respective head coaches. Uh, and I think just in terms of the perception, uh, particularly for Florida State, but, but the perception for both schools is kind of where they're at, hitting the recruiting trail. Remember, you know, the, the early signing day is coming up pretty soon here, uh, not long after this game. I think if you're Florida State, despite all the difficulties you've had over the last month or so, if, you, uh, if you've closed a regular season with back-to-back wins over ranked opponents, including an in-state rival, hit the recruiting trail, do well in that respect uh, before that early signing day, and then get yourself off to a bowl game and, and win that one too. All of a sudden, I think the, the narrative and the tone of this first season under Willie Taggart has shifted considerably. Uh, so uh, about as much stakes, I think, as you can have for a 5-6 and six team. Especially when you look back at the B.C. game, well, I'll save this question. First, I'll ask you, where, where does that thing rank in terms of just a finish at the end? I realize that's, you know, that's not Benjamin in the end zone against Auburn, but, it, you know, there's not been that many of those with less than two minutes, right at two minutes to play. No, it was, uh, it was something. And, you know, I give, uh, I give them a lot of credit. I give DeAndre Francois credit. I think we all know that, that at least in the first half, he was uh, having a hard time out there with some accuracy and some issues. But he made a great throw to Maury and Terry. I mean, what can you say about what he does at this point? Uh, I don't know why any team on earth would uh, would give him single coverage, particularly with a game on the line like that. Uh, and but you know, for for all that had to go into that, and you know, I thought BC they surprised me by not going for it on fourth down. But, but despite all that, Florida State had the ball on its 13 yard line with you know a little more than two minutes to play. You got to get downfield. You got to score, and uh, and for them to be able to do that uh, in a high pressure situation, it's not all that dissimilar from the Louisville game. Uh, but of course, this one was at home uh, with some people actually excited for it. So I, you know, a big moment for uh, for the program, big moment for Willie Taggart. Did you know it's a, the Florida State's first win over a ranked opponent since the uh, the Orange Bowl against Michigan? It had been a little while. So yeah, I think that's one that you uh, you want to have in your uh, your trophy cabinet, so to speak. Yeah, I know the overall record is five and six. I don't think we should discount that BC is a pretty good, pretty good football team. Here's the point I was going to make leading into that. Other than the, the one great catch that Nooney made, which was really an outstanding catch, when you look at it, everybody that gets you excited offensively is an underclassman. I mean, Cam Akers hit for 100. Terry had the game winner. Keyshawn Helton was tremendous in the first half. Harrison McKitty hasn't been as consistent with catches of late uh, as, as maybe what we expected, but they look pretty stout in terms of skill position anyway. No, I actually completely agree, and it was really cool to see Keyshawn Helton get so involved. Uh, that's a guy that I thought was one of the the stars or the unsung stars of fall camp. It seemed like every time he looked up, he was making plays, and, of course, the season started, and uh, understandably he kind of falls to the bottom of the depth chart as a, as a freshman. But uh, to see what he's capable of doing, and, and, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about the idea that Florida State might, uh, you know, look at some different options in some different places, uh, you know, to you know, see what they have in some of those other guys. I think it was after the Clemson game we started that conversation. Keyshawn Helton, to me, uh, is one of those guys. I mean, he, he, he certainly looks the part of a college receiver. I think that he can go – might not be quite as polished as, as DJ Matthews or as experienced as Nyquan Murray, but he can give you that. I think that's fair to say, and as, particularly if he keeps on developing and keeps on improving. So you've got to be excited there. And how about one other guy, uh, not just the skill positions. Uh, I think Brady Scott uh, has an opportunity to be a pretty nice offensive lineman. Uh, and I don't know if, if Greg Fry or Willie Taggart would agree, but to me, you know, that, that game kind of shifted a little bit when they went to Brady Scott at the right tackle spot. I still think moving forward they'd prefer to play him at guard. Um, but I think he's actually quietly had a pretty nice little year over there. Coming into the ball game against BC, Tim, we were worried about the defense. They'd played well for five, six, seven games, and then the last two, Notre Dame and and uh, and Pryor, uh, just not not stuffing the run, not not rising to the occasion. They held this uh, big BC front and Dylan to to manageable yardage. I, I thought they played extraordinarily well. Uh, marked difference between Notre Dame and, and and BC in terms of run support. Oh gosh, absolutely! I thought that they were. Uh, you know, I thought the, the linebackers 
actually had a really nice game. I mean, think about um, the, the the month or so that Dontavious Jackson's had. I don't know that he's getting enough credit. Uh, he had 14 tackles uh, against Boston College, had 11 against Notre Dame. Uh, he's turned into a, a pretty solid player, I feel like, and a, and a really good. I think they like him as a, as a leader on the sidelines in the locker room. Uh, with the media, he's been fantastic. Uh, you know, really got to like what you see from him. And then Willie Tiger said it after the game, is every time – A.J. Dillon got the ball. There was one, two, three guys ready to meet him. Now, sometimes he would fall forward. Sometimes he would break a tackle. That's what six-foot, 245-pound running backs do. But he didn't get anything easy. I think that was what you were most encouraged by for Florida State. Everything that they got on the ground, uh, you could tell, was was hard come by. And to me, that's a, an encouraging thing for Florida State. I think if you want to, you know, one little nitpick or potentially a big nitpick with the defense with some of the, the, the third down stuff, the, the third and longs. Um, but, you know, th- those things are going to happen sometimes. Obviously, it's frustrating. But when you're forcing them to throw the ball as often as they were, sometimes that happens. Yeah, but those, those third and longs, Harlan changed. He was in zone coverage. He was backing up on that last series when it was third and fourth down. He went back to crowding the line of scrimmage. I mean, that, that was a play call. That wasn't a player's call, and, and hats off to him. Uh, the one thing I would mention about DJAC that has gone a little bit under the radar, Tom has talked about it some, is he actually had a position change. And that's why those tackles are, I think, coming a little more easier to him. He's, he's, he's better working on the outside than being anchored on the inside. And uh, he's really able to use his athleticism uh, when he's out there. And I think that kind of makes sense when you look at his body type. He's not small, but he's, he's not the biggest guy either. And I think based on what they had at the position, they're playing him inside because you knew you had DeKalen Brooks and, and Jaden Woodby, who are both smaller than uh, Dontavious. And you, you play them outside because that's what, they ha- what you have. I think now... You're saying, look, if, if, if our best linebacker, and I think it's safe to say right now that Dante Jackson is, if, if our best linebacker's best spot is moving outside, do that and let's figure the rest of it out. And he certainly is flourishing there. You mentioned Harlan Barnett. Not a ton of talk about the fact that he went upstairs to the booth. How much of a factor do you think that was in terms of him being upstairs instead on the sideline this past week? You know, I guess it, it, it seemed like it could be. Uh, I know Willie Taggart seemed to think so. He likes what they have uh, with, with Harlan. And he said, you know, Harlan's used to be in – uh, in, in, the, in the booth. That's what he did at Michigan State. And, and so that the, the thing that makes it work, he's saying, is having Mark Snyder on staff as well. Those two know each other really well, uh, have a good rapport, have a good ability to communicate. So you, you switch, have Coach Barnett up in the booth where he's probably a little bit more comfortable and, and, uh, and you know, can see the game that way. And then anything he needs field level or needs to communicate or whatever the case, he's got a guy that, you know, not that he wouldn't trust other people, but he knows that, uh, that, that Coach Snyder knows how he likes things and, and how to get that done. So, uh, you know, it, it's still a relatively small sample size, but I think you got to like what you see so far, right? You know, I think Florida State fans are a little bit spoiled because Mickey Andrews, for his 25 years, was always down on the sideline. Uh, that's, that's not the norm. Normally speaking, you go 129, 130 programs, 60 70% of them are going to have their defensive coordinator in the booth. And uh, that's where the coordinator was in my entire career. And I think it's just a better spot for them to see what's going on. And it certainly worked well against BC, I think. A little tougher for Mickey to get his message across from the booth as compared to the sideline, if you know what I'm saying. All right, Tim, so what are the keys this week? (laughs) You know, I think it's actually kind of similar to what you had against Boston College. I know Florida runs a different offense than Boston College, but I think for Florida State, your approach needs to be try to shut down that run, make Florida's passing game, make Felipe Franks prove that he can beat you. Uh, Anthony Brown from Boston College came close, uh, but the fact is they couldn't do it. Uh, you know, we'll see if, if Felipe Franks is, uh, is able to do that as well. From the other side of it, you know, I really liked what I saw from Florida State's running game. You know, you know who had a, a quietly had a pretty nice time running the ball is, is, 
his uh, stats don't show up was DeAndre Francois. I think there was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think six designed runs for DeAndre plus a couple scrambles, and he was able to pick up some first down yards. He didn't get out and, you know, start running wild like Michael Vick, but uh, he had a couple quarterback draws that he got up quickly, and, and you know, that's a pretty encouraging thing. And then, of course, Cam Akers, uh, over 100 yards for the first time uh, uh, this season. And how about the run that he had, uh, the 55-yarder, uh, where he, he looked like he was going to fall flat on his face and to regain his balance. Uh, to me, it's, you know, get that running game going. I think we all know that's the foundation of this offense and probably the key to why it had been so slow to get going uh, and stop Florida's run and, and make Felipe Franks beat you. Well, we saw last year that if you put Franks in the position of having to beat you through the air, he, there's question marks. Now, certainly he's a year older. Uh, he's better. That Florida offense uh, is, is they've gone from horrible to at least marginally inept. They can put some poor, they can put some points on the board. Uh, and so I, I agree. I think you take away the run as best you can and you make him go over the top. Uh, and, I, and like I said earlier, uh, I think Harlan learned something, at least uh, from, a, from a previous standpoint. This Florida State defense can't play zone very well. Uh, and when they're rushing three and dropping eight, I'd rather them rush five and play man underneath with two safeties over the top and take the chance on big plays. I think the kids are better suited to do that, and I think Coach Barnett's going to figure that out, and I think we're going to see a lot of that on Saturday. I don't think they actually want to play a lot of zone. You know, when you go back to what they said from the outset when, when, when Harlan Barnett was hired, they kind of like playing, basically playing athletes, playing man and, and winning one-on-one -on -one battles. You hear Willie Taggart talk about that all the time when he was asked why the defense was struggling during that stretch against Clemson, NC State, and Notre Dame. More often than I said, we're not winning enough one-on-one -on -one battles. I think that's what they want to do. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe that'll, uh, what you saw against Boston College was, uh, and the results you saw when you got away from that, that would be enough to, to stick with it full-time. Tim? Good uh, input as always. Happy Thanksgiving. We will uh, see you on Saturday. I'll see you there, guys. He's our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. But don't go away because we're just getting warmed up. We'll return with more Front Row right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. It is FSU Florida Week, but we're going to uh, step aside from the football conversation for a little bit, talk some basketball. The Knowles are out to a 3-0 start, and we're pleased to welcome back to the program Trent Forrest, who joined us a couple weeks before the season started. Now you're, you're three games in, and uh, we, we'll talk about what you got ahead because you got uh, some good opportunities ahead. But what do you like about what you've seen so far from this team, Trent? Um, I would say defensively we're, we're pretty to get together and it's, it's been great seeing our defensive effort out um, on the court and I mean it's been showing up in the games and it's very rewarding to see when you're getting steals and things like that so it's just been fun playing defense. That was noticeable to me at the Florida game uh, and I wasn't involved in seeing you guys play in preseason didn't make it to the exhibition games but when I showed up the two things I noticed I thought 
this defense is pretty far ahead for game one. And I also looked, and I was looking at PJ and maybe some others, and I said, these guys look like they're in shape. So was that, uh, you know, you came so close to, to getting to the Final Four last year that you said, you know what, this this is a doable thing. Yes, sir. Definitely, definitely. This offseason, we spent a lot of time getting in shape. A lot of guys were losing weight, eating the right things, and I feel like that's helped us this year to be able to sustain ourselves to play the defense that we do. And, I mean, when you can do it at a high level and for long periods of time, it eventually wears down on the other team. Trent, coaches talk about it all the time. Visualize, if you will, you, you get to four games into the tournament. You're one game away from the final four. But until you're there, until you know how close that is, and then afterwards when you can reflect back and you say to yourself, you know, if I work on this, and if Kamaji works on that, and if PJ works on this, and MJ does that, and we put those little pieces together, it's the little pieces they keep you from being in the final four it hits home it makes it real doesn't it yeah very very i mean i feel like that's what's helped us a lot so far to get us where we're at now and that's one thing that the coaches stressed to us all off season was make sure we work on these things these things the specific things that are like you said little things that now is just helping us click more I know Coach Ham has talked about, and we're only three games in, uh, trying to get the less experienced guys into the flow and comfortable. You didn't get a great opportunity to do that at Tulane. Monday night there was a better opportunity. How long, in your estimation, does that take? Because Ham always has a longer rotation and longer bench at this point in the season. Uh, and then by the time conference play you know, comes into play, things tighten up. Um, I usually I would say probably the first half of the preseason and non-conference schedule, I feel like it takes a couple good games before you can get a set rotation of guys but like he said he definitely you have to get those guys in there so in conference time you know exactly where you need them how has it been in terms of you in the backcourt I mean CJ was here now you now you're working with David instead and uh, and maybe it's more a question for him but every you know he's new to you guys but everybody's new for him you know in terms of him fitting in he's fit in great I mean he's a great point guard he understands the games well he knows what we're supposed to be doing he has the mature maturity coming from albany with four years or three years already being played and that maturing experience it just helps this team and it made him gel well with us and just on the court he's able to do a lot of things all right trent you play a couple of games and you get an eight-day layoff that ain't good but now you're going to play four games in seven days you're victorious in a, in a pretty tough game against canisius on monday uh, tonight, uh, as we're, we're on the air, you're getting ready for a 9.30 tip against UAB. And around the corner is LSU, and maybe down the line is Villanova, the defending national champ. So you're going to get some good, stiff competition real quick, back-to-back. How's this team going to respond? Uh, I think if we just stay connected mentally and bring the energy and talk basketball, just talk what we need to do, go over our scout reports, I feel like we'll be fine. Just as long as we have a consistent high energy throughout the whole tournament, then I feel like we'll be able to be in the championship on Sunday. Well, three games in four days, that's the way the, the postseason works at the end of the year, too. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way, as we have this same, same. <laughs> as we have this conversation. Uh, what do you like from the, from the new guys? I mentioned David, but, but some of the others, and maybe they're not that new. The guy, a couple guys redshirted, but in general, what have you seen from them thus far? Uh, they give a great effort. All the guys, they go out and they play hard, and I feel like that's obvious, but they all do different things that helps this team well. Devin, he's he's been great in the first three games. He's getting deflections, getting steals wide. He's knocking down shots like we know him to do, and they're just gelling well into their own, and it's helping them a lot. 
I made the comment to Coach Ham after the game Monday night that last year, my opinion, PJ would have been frustrated. He misses a couple of shots, doesn't get good shots. They were they were bound and determined to not let him launch. He'd have done it anyway, and he ended up being 0 for 7 and playing 13 minutes. This year, it's a new PJ. It wasn't coming to him. He played 22, 23 minutes because he's lost some weight. He's playing defense. That one play he had on the on the side court over there was unbelievable. He really has recommitted to this squad. Definitely, definitely. The, the whole offseason, P.J., he knew that he needed to get better in defense. He was in the coach's office watching film, seeing the little things that he needed to do to get better. And I feel like that's helping him a lot this year. And like you said, P.J., he just changed his mindset, and he was able to affect the game without scoring. And, I mean, he opened up opportunities because guys were sticking to him. So we were able to get downhill, get in the paint, things like that. So just having him on our team, it helps us a lot. How do you feel about how you've started so far? I feel pretty good. I mean, body feels pretty good. The coaches did a good job with that. I just feel like I'm in a good spot playing. I feel like I'm really connected with this team. I just feel feel really good. What uh, we'll let you go with this, but uh, you know, through three games with three games coming up over the next four days, what what needs to happen for you guys to come out with the you know the outcome you want this weekend? A lot of communication, definitely. I feel like if we can talk the whole tournament, just even when we're having downtime, if we talk basketball things, I feel like we'll do pretty good in the tournament. Thanks so much for your time. You, uh, you know, it's a rarity. We don't always bring guests back, but this is, you know, we had them in October, had them in November. We'll see you in December. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys again. One special rule: don't get real good at this because I want to keep my job. You, you don't get it. You don't get it. I'll try not to. All right, Trent. It's been a fun start to the year. We'll see you down in Orlando. Thank you. All right, Trent Forrest and Keith. Uh, you know your thoughts. You've been with basketball for for a while and. Uh, I guess when you look at the last three years in particular, it was noticeable to me watching the team Monday night that the parts and pieces that, that Leonard and Stan and company are bringing in, uh, they're good players. I mean, they're, they're adding contributions. I know a couple of them redshirted, but these are not uh, you know, projects that you have to wait three or four years to get some return on the investment. These are folks that can come in and help the team now. You, you don't want to talk about necessarily that they're bringing in an overall higher level of recruit because that sounds like you're disrespectful of the kids that came through three or five or ten years ago. I would just simply say the kids that they're bringing in now are more well-rounded. There were kids that came in all the way back when Leonard first started that might be one- or two-dimensional players. These new kids, they can play on the defense. They can play on the offensive end. They can dribble the basketball. They can shoot. They can rebound. They understand concepts. They've got a great feel for how to to work and spacing and rotation and that type of thing on the court and and they're unselfish they're not they're not prima donna all, it's all about me uh, type of players they're great teammates and you start seeing that this is a team that enjoys being with each other this is a team that enjoys playing together uh, Gene and I talked about this a lot uh, in the postseason last year. That squad last year was the same way. It's just kind of carried over, and you've had two or three other pieces, uh, and a couple of pieces have gone. I mean, they miss Angola. There's no question. Uh, Ike, I think, if he had stayed, would would have been a resource. But they found a way to fill those gaps, particularly with the new kids. And, and, and I'm very, very optimistic and very excited about what this team can do if they stay focused, as Trent talked about, if they keep their minds right, uh, and stay focused, uh, th- there's a lot of upside to this squad. 
I'm interested, and we're a couple weeks away from the the heart of this conversation, but what it looks like when Kofor's healthy and comes back. Because you really hope the timing on that is in December so he gets some games under his belt and not once conference play starts. Because the deeper you get into the season, the more that rotation is set. One of the things I worry about. Not that he wouldn't shake up the rotation, but then there's some lumps maybe you take. Well, that's where I'm going. That's one of the things I worry about. If you get eight or ten games into the year, you're a third of the way in. And actually bringing Kofor is going to mean for a game or two or three, you're going to disrupt everybody because you've got to find a way where he fits in 2018, 2019, because he's not the same guy last year, and this is not the same group. The old permutations and combinations of last year aren't the same this year. So you're actually going to hurt yourself potentially when you bring him back unless and until you find where he fits. Uh, obviously, he, he's a great resource. He led the team in scoring last year. Uh, his three-point shooting from outside has dramatically improved. Uh, he's, he's a great steady and influence, you know, the old man, the grandpa of the group. Uh, but you're, you're going to suffer potentially a little bit short-term, and hopefully that long-term game is, is what makes it worthwhile for you. And we'll just have to wait and see when he comes back. Well, and it seems strange to say this, uh, what I'm about to say, given the way Phil's career started. But the three-point shot is key because right now when you, when you look at FSU, you've got Savoy, you've got MJ Walker, looks like that he can fill that role. You know, Angola was the guy last year. But until Trent or Terrence become more automatic from out there, and I think it's more likely to be Trent than Terrence, but we haven't seen it yet, you, you get another body on the floor who can hit from there, and it just opens up the spacing and everything else on the floor. Well, I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheeks, but uh, Wilkes is over there raising his hand going, look, I was two for two Monday night. You can count on me. Obviously, uh, that was probably a little bit of an abnormal thing, but he looked very good doing it. But you're exactly right. Phil, because he, he's going to play at the four, you know, he can stretch out a defense. If he can hit some shots from outside, that opens up the interior for Kamaje and Fee, and, and it makes some other things happen in a dribble drive penetration uh, situation. Hopefully that will be the case in 1819. All right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll bounce away from basketball and get back to football when we come back, but uh, we wanted to give uh, Leonard's team its due. they got a big opportunity this weekend in Orlando. Keith and I will be down there calling the action this weekend and uh, a report back accordingly next week. But we'll report back for our next segment right after this, talk a little bit more about what else is going on, and then get back to Florida FSU. That's when Front Row Knowles rolls on. on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, thanks to our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld for joining us and also Trent Forrest, too. It's going to be fun to watch the rest of his campaign uh, this year. I uh, do need to mention, and this goes without saying, but somehow I didn't say it. It's a big weekend in town. There's a small little football game we'll continue to discuss. It's taking place on Saturday. And uh, the place you need to be before, after, and if you don't have a ticket, I suppose, during the game would be Madison Social or Township or Centrality. They've been longtime supporters of this program. And uh, 
Should FSU win on Saturday, there'll be a celebration. Uh, I, I won't say like none other because they've watched national championships at Madison Social, but it'll be a good time. Like none other this year. How about that? We'll go with that. <laughs> we might even be there, as a matter of fact, if that happens. How about that? If you didn't have incentive, now you've got it. Hey, real quick, before we, we talk uh, – Get back to football. I think we closed the book on men's basketball. I do want to mention I've, I've watched the women's team uh, play a couple times this year, and Sue has some good parts, but they've got some depth issues because two players got hurt before the season. And then they've got freshman issues, which is to say not that they're not talented, but uh, as the saying goes, the best thing about freshmen is eventually they become sophomores. Depth and lack of experience, uh, I think, are going to be something that Sue and her staff are going to have to try to overcome in the, in the first third, maybe even two-thirds of the season. Uh, obviously, we know her pedigree and the staff's pedigree about getting uh, teams ready for the tournament, both the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. But uh, people need to understand it, there may be some significant growing pains early on. Uh, you hope they're not. Uh, you hope they breeze through them and uh, find ways to overcome them. But uh, when you lose two key players and, and you're you're playing a lot of first-year kids, you know, significant minutes, um, that's a recipe for, for problems, particularly early in your uh, ACC regular season schedule. So, um, you know, hats off to Sue and her staff for what they've been able to accomplish so far. But uh, because of those setbacks, it might be a little bit of a growing pains type of year for them. The Cliffs notes is they're one of only a couple schools in the country that is replacing all five starters who were all five were seniors. And now they're about the third youngest team in the country, something like that, if you do it by age. So you can do the math on that. And uh, that said, she's done a good job. And I hope uh, that the that the youngsters mature quickly. Also want to send a shout out to Mark Krikorian's soccer team. Thrilling win they had on Sunday over USC in penalty kicks. They play Friday, I think, uh, 2 o'clock early. Yeah, 2 o'clock against Penn State. Should they win, they'll advance to the College Cup. It's remarkable how many times he's been in the Elite Eight. Not, I don't know if they call it that on the soccer front, but they, that's where they've been in the quarterfinals. Uh, and there they are again. I saw this team play early this year, and I thought it was maybe the most technically skilled FSU team I've seen in that there were a plethora of players with an advanced skill level. Uh, that's probably not the best way to describe it because he's always got a good team, but I just saw more better players, if that makes sense. So I wish them the best. You know, because Coach K allows his ladies to participate in their national teams, for those that are overseas kids, in their national teams during the actual season, there are times when his squad is actually uh, shorthanded. And he intentionally allows those ladies to do that as part of his recruiting pitch. Uh, so that they can stay connected with their with their country teams, uh, I think one of the stats that you threw out to me we talk about the men 's basketball team, and I think I believe they 're thirty three and two now uh, over the last two plus seasons you know the the women 's soccer team tommy is as you were telling me is forty one and one or forty two and one now in NCAA matches in Tallahassee, so that bodes well for that two o 'clock uh, kick. Uh, against Penn State. We wish them the best. Uh, I know uh, if they get past PSU, uh, I'm, I'm certainly going to be, and many others are going to be watching them when they get to the College Cup because they, they have performed well there and brought back the 2014 trophy. I'm not going to claim to tell you a lot about Penn State or women's college soccer. I do think, and looking, I looked at the bracket, I don't think Penn State was seeded, so obviously they're playing well at the right time uh, to, to be taken on FSU. And I did look far enough to see that should FSU advance, they would play the winner of UCLA-North Carolina, both teams that Florida State has beaten this year. 
Uh, of course, they beat North Carolina to win the ACC championship. Okay, that said, uh, another shout-out goes to Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Ron and his staff uh, have also been big supporters of our program for a while. And, uh, Ron, if, if we could ask you to build a wall that we could put in as the offensive line for Saturday's game, uh, we would enlist your services right now. Uh, we don't want to use stucco. Uh, we'll go with two-by-fours. If you'll just give us the nail guns and show us how to put it together. Exactly right. But uh, two locations to choose from in Tallahassee. Uh, They've been serving the Big Ben for quite some time. Go out and uh, support them and thank them for supporting us. Keith, Florida State, Florida. I don't know that we need to make predictions. We've still got a few days before we get to the game, and uh, we'll probably change our minds a few times. Uh, You know, this is... uh, the point spread is four. To me, it's a pick 'em. It's a rivalry game. It's in Tallahassee. I, I know when the point spread is four, that would tell you that really it's six or seven if you're on a neutral field. Uh, Florida has had a little bit better year, but I still know what FSU's parts are. Last week, we saw them get more of the parts on the same page and get a better end product, and so I'm optimistic. My glass tends to be half full that uh, that they can continue and build on that, and, and who knows? Well, in reality, uh, they've, they've got the potential to get better, even though it's the 12th game of the season. Uh, we saw some reshuffling again of the offensive line, and uh, one of the young kids was able to come in and play and, and, and maybe you know establish his footing there. <coughs> Pardon me. We saw Cam go over the 100 yards, had that nice uh, 50-something yard run. Uh, we saw DeAndre uh, you know, move out of the pocket. We talked about this previously, that um, there was some design runs where the quarterback was keeping the ball. Obviously, we know he can throw the ball down the field. We know what uh, Tamar and Terry can do. Uh, you mentioned, and I'll, I'll take your thunder and then let you build upon it, but I, I'd like to continue to see ways to get the ball in Helton's hand. I, th- I think that youngster has just he's got that it factor, whatever that it factor, however you defined it. Uh, he's got it. Uh, I'd like to see him get a few more touches. Uh, I want to see our defense continue to play well, particularly against the run, and as we've established, uh, make Franks uh, you know, throw the ball. Make him beat you throwing the ball. And if they do that, then fine. Uh, hats off to them. They, they can get credit for out-executing. But put all those together, you know, there needs to be a big crowd. It needs to be loud. It's a noon kickoff, and we've got to get past this noon being the bad thing because the networks have come out and said, you know, there, there's one game this next week starting at 11 o'clock because the networks have figured out if we can get people tuned in early with good games, they'll stay the rest of the time all the way to, to midnight. Uh, so the noon kickoff, uh, I think, is advantageous, and uh, I'm excited about it. I, I think I think Florida State is positioned well. It may not go our way, but I think it's positioned well, and if they play well, I think they can pull it out. Not positioned how we'd like them to be, but all things considered, uh, you know, a win gets you to bowl eligibility, as we've talked about. It's also senior day. That that sometimes gets glossed over. And, Keith, you can reflect back. It goes quick, and all of a sudden you get in the locker room, and it's the last time that you're going out there with your teammates. This is a senior class. Uh, you know, I'm sure they feel a burden on their shoulders to try and help uphold this bowl streak and help with the transition. Uh, they didn't sign up for a transition of coaches. Uh, you could argue that their play maybe or performance contributed to it, uh, but you could argue that it didn't either and that it, that, that, that transition was going to come. But you're talking about you know guys like Jaquez Patrick who came back for, for a senior year here, uh, Alec Eberly who's been much maligned as a center, and you know he's not the best center in, in the country, but, but he's fought and scrapped for a few years there. Uh, Nooney Murray is a senior offensively. Uh, and then on defense, you've got like guys like Demarcus Christmas and Fred Jones up front. 
you know, Brian Burns is not a senior, but this may be well well be the last time we see him play. AJ Westbrook is senior, so uh, it's it's the last go round for a lot of these guys, and they want to go out on top. Tommy, it, one of the things about college football, and, and you know, my last game was in, uh, January one, nineteen eighty one, but that's not the game I remember. Uh, that last game was against Oklahoma. Uh, we lost 18-17. If we'd, have, if we'd have found a way to win that ball game, there's every reason to believe that we would have been awarded a split national championship. The game I remember is my last home game, which happened to be against Florida. And in the fourth quarter of that game, I had two interceptions in one quarter. And that's how I finished my career, having beaten Florida four years in a row in a win over the Gators in Dope Campbell Stadium. As a senior, regardless of the bowl game, you always remember that last home game, and particularly in the every other year when there's a home game against Florida. Uh, you can't take that memory away from me, and if there was one thing I would say to these seniors, make sure you understand that this is the last time you get the opportunity to do this. Do not leave anything on that field. Leave it all out there, regardless of the outcome, because 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, 39 years later, I think it is for me, or however long it is, 38, that's what you remember. So for that three-and-a-half-hour period, you're working on a lifetime of memories. Well said. Some final thoughts here, Keith, going back to what we were just talking about. Uh, you know, if you stop the run, let's just say, and Florida State has not been able to run offensively, so let's just say in the scenario where neither team can run the ball, then you've got Franks against Francois, and for all of Francois's warts, I think we would take Francois throwing the football over Franks. To be fair, I have not seen Florida play as much this year uh, as maybe some others, but I think that's where we'd be. And, and I like that matchup. I would like those odds. I'd be willing to put a little bit of money on those odds, given also the fact the weapons that Francois has to throw to, which I think are much better than the Gators. Um, and, and we saw what Franks couldn't do last year. Florida State just completely uh, befuddled him. Uh, now, he's a year older. I get that. It's a new coaching staff, a new scheme to a degree. I get that. He's got some new uh, talent around him. I get that. But I'm with you. I would like, uh, I would very much uh, be willing to take DeAndre over, France, or DeAndre over Franks if it boiled down to a passing against a passing uh, type of, uh, of game. You mentioned getting Keyshawn Helton involved. I mean, they run that little, I don't know what they call it, little flip play. It's like a jet sweep, but instead of handing it off, they flip it to him. I, I do think he's he's really tough, for especially for a small kid. How can you get Terry more involved? I mean, Terry lines up outside, and it's pretty much a go route, which we all call for six times a game, but we see twice a game. Uh, you know, and then you see some little some little hitches or short stuff. Is there a way that you can get him more involved? I, I go I, I'd go this route, Tommy, and this is kind of a uh, doesn't really answer your question, but I would give Francois the authority, opportunity, or whatever that any time he sees Terry out there on one on one coverage, to go nine route, regardless of what's called, even if he doesn't tell everybody else, and just take your shots downfield. In other words, if you could get the ball through the air. Eight times. How many of those is he going to come down with, and how many of those are going to be touchdowns? And I just take my shots. What else you got to lose? I don't disagree. And if you're throwing nine routes and it's 50 yards downfield, well, it's the equivalent of a punt anyway if it goes the wrong way. So why not? Exactly. 
Exactly. Now, uh, I'm not sure Walt Bell will do that. I'm not sure that uh, Willie Taggart will sign off on that. But if I'm sneaking in there giving him any suggestions, that's going to be what I'm going to mention. Yeah, well, I guess when you watch him play, uh, and watch him on special teams, too. I mean, watch him when he blocks. I mean, he brings it every play, whatever he's doing. So if there was a way to get him the ball somewhere else, and I'm not saying you run reverses with him. That's not what his skill set is compared to Helton and Trayshawn Harrison. Um, but, you know, maybe more across the middle of field, uh, which, which hasn't, you know, it's not necessarily part of the offense, but I, just get him more touches. Any way that you can. And get those touches 15 and 20 yards down the field so he can try to make something happen with that big body. All right. Well, now that we have uh, told you everything you need to know, uh, I will say uh, from the bottom of my heart, happy Thanksgiving to, to all of you. We uh, appreciate your listenership. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we are hoping that we've got uh, a victory to be thankful for on Saturday. Well, we'll revisit it one way or the other next Wednesday, and between now and then, you and I will have a bait full of turkey and basketball. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next week. We don't need no thoughts control No dark sarcasm in the classroom